Welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership podcast series. My name is Scott Miller. I serve as your weekly host and interviewer. I'm also the author of the book, Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Mind, pulled from some of my 30 favorite interviews from this On Leadership podcast, available, of course, on Amazon, where I've just released for pre-order Master Mentors Volume 2, 30 new transformative insights from 32 30 new master mentors from this podcast, available now for pre-order on Amazon, available the first week in October on our way to 10 volumes in Master Mentor. Both books are drawn from some of the most transformative insights from guests on our first 225 episodes on this podcast. Today, we have a giant, an intellectual, emotional giant. His name is Dr. Daniel Goldman. He, of course, is the author of about a dozen books. He is a two-time Pulitzer Prize winning nominee. He is an author, keynote speaker, coach, advisor. His book, of course, Emotional Intelligence, has changed the landscape for how hundreds of millions of us work and interact throughout our days. I had the privilege of seeing him speak at the World Business Forum several years ago, several years ago. and today we're honored that from just north of New York City, Daniel Goldman is joining us from his home. Daniel, welcome to On Leadership. Thank you, Scott. It's very kind of you to have me. Daniel, it's an honor to have you on. As you know, this podcast is the world's largest weekly leadership podcast, and people come to us every week for insights, for transformational insights from best-selling authors, business titans, celebrities, researchers, or people who perhaps have no fame but have paid the price to perhaps recover from a trauma or learn something from their own research and practice. And today, you are a fantastic addition to our now almost four-year podcast series. Daniel, will you take a few moments in, of course, the world knows you from being the author of numerous books, including your seminal book, Emotional Intelligence. Would you maybe rewind a couple of decades and talk a bit about what has been your professional journey to become what is now one of the most famous authors of our generation? Yes. Well, I never set out to become a famous author. Uh, It just happened. I started in clinical psychology. I got a PhD in that at Harvard years and years ago. Uh, and went into journalism at a time when that was looked askance in the uh, academic world Uh, and uh, ended up uh, working on the science desk of the New York Times covering the brain and behavior, which led me actually to write the book Emotional Intelligence. A friend of mine, Peter Salovey, who's now the president of Yale University, had written an article called Emotional Intelligence uh, in a rather obscure journal My job at the Times was to read as many journals as I could find and see if there was anything that was new, interesting, relevant to people's lives. And I thought, wow, emotional intelligence, what a great phrase. It's an oxymoron. You can't put intelligence together with emotions. But then I realized it meant being intelligent about emotions. And that led me to go circle around back to my psychology days and look at the brain science underneath emotional intelligence to develop my own model of emotional intelligence, and then to look into the leadership literature and to understand the many, many ways in which being emotionally intelligent helps you as a leader be more effective and helps the people you lead have better performance. Daniel, why do you think your work has been so transformative to, you know, uh, uh, millions of people and 
hundreds of thousands of organizations that teach the skills and have them as part of their competencies. I mean, I'm going to guess there isn't a company in the world that doesn't have emotional intelligence as a leadership competency, whether you're an individual producer or you're just a, a leader of people. Why do you think it's become so in vogue? Well, I think there are a few uh, reasons, actually, Scott. Uh, first of all, it's intuitive. Everybody has known this, yeah. uh, and I think I gave it—I gave it words, I gave it language people could use that are acceptable in a business setting. I remember when I set out, people told me you can't use the word emotion in a business, but actually, it's really a good idea because the brain doesn't distinguish between you know, our work life and the rest of life, we have emotions all the time. And in fact, they have a very powerful effect on how well you we can use whatever talents we have, you know, our intelligence or coding or whatever it may be, whatever technical skill. If you're in a bad mood, if you're anxious, if you're fearful, if you're angry, it's going to lower your ability to use whatever uh, talent you have. And if you're in an upbeat mood, enthusiastic, energized, as you well know, Scott, you're going to be at your best. And uh, the data now on business performance uh, in leadership is so strong, showing that leaders need this skill set if they're going to be effective and if the people they lead are going to be effective. To that point, Daniel, is our emotional intelligence fixed? Is there sort of a finite boundary of how we can grow it and we have to sort of dive deeper? Or do you think the majority of us can broaden that and develop that into a, a, a strength, if you will, an actual leadership competency for our own brands, our own reputations? Scott, that's a great uh, question. And actually, it, it speaks to the old debate between nature and nurture, uh, which has been resolved now as both nature and nurture, which is to say, we're born with certain set points for key neurotransmitter systems that determine, for example, how outgoing we are, how agreeable we are. But, and this is the really key point, IQ is fixed. It, it's really an index of how quickly you can learn new material. And it pretty much doesn't change from childhood on. Emotional intelligence, in contrast, is learned and learnable. And we learn it through life. You know, when when a parent picks up a crying baby and soothes it, that baby's brain is learning how to soothe itself. You know, parents are the first mentors in emotional intelligence. If you're an executive, if you're a manager, and you want to get better at emotional intelligence competencies, which I recommend, uh, you can do it. But there's a window of opportunity in childhood into the mid-20s when the emotional and social circuitry of the brain is actually taking shape. And after that time, we just have to put more effort and time into learning uh, because we have to overcome whatever habits we picked up. Maybe we're bad listeners and we want to learn to be a better listener. Well, now we've got to, first of all, be mindful and notice here's a chance for me to practice being a good listener and then make the effort to do it. And our data shows if you make that effort consistently in you know about six months, you're, you're going to do the new behavior, listening well, um, naturally without having to think about it. And that means there's been a change in the underlying brain circuitry. That's going to stick with you for the rest of your life. Daniel, let's go deeper on that. Uh, let's talk about the dimensions of emotional intelligence. 
Would you kind of maybe walk us through what those dimensions sure. look like? And are there some that are the most prevalent in leaders and the some that perhaps have the biggest deficit that we should be mindful of working on? Sure, thank you for asking me. There are four parts to my model. There's self-awareness, knowing what you're feeling and how it's affecting your, uh, your thinking, your perception, your impulses, being able to master uh, yourself, to handle your emotions well, keep your eye on the goal, to stay positive, to be adaptable. Uh, that's the second part, that's self-mastery. The third is empathy, knowing what other people are feeling, tuning into them. Uh, and the fourth is using all of that together to have effective relationships. And Scott, within each of those four domains are nested specific competencies of emotional intelligence. So for example, when it comes to self-mastery, uh, there's a, emotional balance, keeping yourself from being overwhelmed by negative emotions and nurturing positive ones, uh, being optimistic no matter what happens, being adaptable and nimble and handling new challenges and keeping your eyes on your goal. Each of those is a particular competence uh, and um, each domain has these competencies. And I think it's crucial for a leader to realize, I was just talking to someone who does assessments of people in C-suites and she says, everyone in a C-suite has the achievement competence in spades. They, they keep their eye on their goal. That's why they're in the C-suite. But she said, if they don't temper that with empathy and caring about the people they lead, they're gonna burn people out. Their most talented people are gonna leave. They're gonna have a high turnover rate. And in fact, our data shows that. In fact, you've said that most CEOs are hired for their intellect and their business competence, but they're fired for their lack of emotional intelligence. Speak to the millions of members that are watching this that are in the C-suite or on their way up and sort of what, you know, what shot across the bow might you give executive level leaders to make sure they're not part of that continuing statistic of high on intellect and business acumen, but perhaps oftentimes low on the EQ side, not always, but sometimes. Well, yes, and I don't think it's either or. I think it's both and. I think you do need the business skills, no yeah. question. You know, that's baseline. But what differentiates people who stand out from their peers is emotional intelligence. You know, do you work toward your goals? Do you stay calm and clear when other people are going, you know, really upset and uh, not thinking well? Do you, uh, are you able to influence people, uh, persuade them, inspire them? Do you listen well? Do you communicate well? These are all emotional intelligence abilities. And these are the differentiators uh, of people who are outstanding leaders from people who are just mediocre. Do you know, talk about the power of self-regulation and are there some specific actions that everyone could take or remember or a process to realize where they might be tripping up? So talk about um, why self-regulation is so important to emotional intelligence. And for those of us who may not naturally self-regulate well, what are some tips or tiny habits or tricks we could be thinking about to make it a skill, make it a competency? Yeah, that's a great question because I think it's crucial. Uh, if you blow up at people, if you feel panicked or anxious, like two in the morning, you wake up worrying about something at work. 
you, you're not managing your emotions well. So self-regulation really means to handling your own emotions so that they don't get in the way of your functioning. And there are a number of ways to do that. Uh, one way, um, one method, actually it's used by special forces. I'm about to do a, a webcast to the Ukraine to help people there. It's called the uh, box breath or 444. And when you feel yourself losing it, you take a deep breath in, one, two, three, four, you hold it as long as you can, one, two, three, four or longer, and you exhale very long. And this shifts your physiology from the fight or flight sympathetic nervous system arousal to the relax and recover mode. Uh, that's one quick trip. There's another, which is to be mindful of your emotions and notice what you're feeling, not let it just sweep you up and in some frenetic response to the situation, but to notice, oh, I'm getting angry or I'm getting anxious. And then to uh, manage that emotion better. And by the way, the minute or the moment you, you name the emotion, you've already activated the prefrontal cortex, which your emotional centers had paralyzed and you're shifting the energy so that it becomes easier to get over that uh, upset. And then there's uh, mindfulness. Mindfulness is a very powerful method. Many people in the business world now use it. If you practice it every day, like paying attention to your in-breath, your out-breath, you know, you do it for five minutes, 10 minutes in the morning, uh, it resets your metabolism so that when you do get, uh, you know, encounter the stressor at work, you are triggered less often. If you are triggered, it's not as intense and you recover more quickly. Resilience is how long it takes you to, from the peak of upset to get back to relaxed. And finally, I'll recommend the Personal Sustainability Index. It's an inventory uh, I uh, developed with my colleague, Richard Boyatzis, who teaches management at Case Western. And it's a way of assessing your own life in terms of how many sources of stress you have and how that's balanced or not with uh, ways to recover. Uh, with uplifts, with things that get you into that recovery mode. And we need a good balance in our day. So there's a quick method, Scott, and there's a longer term method, and there's a uh, zoom back and look at your life. When the world hears the term emotional intelligence, uh, and apologies to other authors who have written about it, the world thinks of Daniel Goleman. You are equated worldwide with the, the ideology, in my opinion, behind the concept of emotional intelligence. Yes, others have written about it in many other different valuable ways. What is it like that your brand, in many ways, is as the guy that's the expert on emotional intelligence? Do people expect from you a more measured, thoughtful, self-regulated personality? Is this a natural talent of yours? Do you have to remind yourself? Like, like Dr. Covey would always say that of his seven habits, habit five, the listening habit, was his biggest struggle. How do, you, how do you live your life recognizing that the spotlight is on you to always be exhibiting some level of emotional intelligence? <laughs> well, uh, I always say you write about what you need to learn. Uh, I think it's really humble uh, and wonderful of Stephen Covey to say that he, he actually was learning himself. 
and I say I'm a lifelong learner too, there's a mini industry in emotional intelligence, as you say, there's countless books on it. There's many uh, consultants who are coaches who specialize in it. I just, myself, I just started uh, something called the, the uh, Goldman Consulting Group to help companies create an emotionally intelligent culture. Uh, so I am identified with it, but I, I, I don't look to myself as the model of it. Uh, I see myself as someone who is still learning. I'll tell you, my personal model is actually the Dalai Lama, who I've come to know over the years, and I've seen him in many different situations. And I think he is, as far as I know, the most well-balanced person I've met, mm. and also the kindest, which I think mm. is another index. Mm. By the way, being kind is not the same as being nice. Being nice is often mistaken as the same as emotional intelligence. I don't think so. Being nice, you you may just do whatever it takes to get along with people. Being kind, you may bring up that one thing that's unpleasant but needs to be dealt with. That's a kindness. That was a gift right there. Daniel, this might sound like a cliche, but I'm guessing that emotional intelligence post-pandemic is a competency that's more desperately needed than ever before. We've all been through different levels of trauma, right? This cliche of we've all been in the same storm but different boats. What do you say to the highly competent leader with business acumen and process skills and perhaps in a high IQ that says, I just want to do the work. I just want to get the work done. I don't want to spend my time dealing with all the emotions of my people and individualized leadership. And I just here to work and get stuff done. Where do you meet that leader and help she or he move forward? Scott, let me share some research that speaks to that. Uh, this is work done at the Yale School of Management and it shows that if the head of a team, a leader is in a really negative mood, very angry, anxious, whatever, people on that team catch that mood, performance goes down. Mm -hmm. If the leader's in a positive mood, mm -hmm. people on the team catch that, performance goes up. Your emotions, Mr. Leader or Mrs. Leader, matter because they're contagious. They're most powerfully contagious from the most powerful person in the room outward. And you are often that person in the room. So you may think it doesn't matter, but actually it does. It matters not just for your own performance, but for the performance of the people you connect with and how well you connect uh, and how well you support those people is going to determine how well they can do for you. And your success depends on the work of everyone around you. Do you think there are certain industries that discourage or don't accommodate the value, the implicit value behind oh. emotional intelligence? And if so, what do you do if you work in one of those industries or in that kind of company where it's kind of dismissed or not safe to talk about? Uh, there are certain industries like that. They often tend to be quant uh, focused. Finance, uh, technology, those types of things. Yeah, technology, finance, and so on, where, uh, you know, your uh, IQ skills are very valued, but our data shows that that gets you in the door, but now you're competing with people who are as smart as you are, or as good as you are, and what's going to differentiate your performance is how well you manage yourself and how well you can lead a group, and that's all emotional intelligence. What would you say to someone who's down the level in the organization and they work with a leader that 
doesn't exhibit any of the dimensions of emotional intelligence. Perhaps they're, you know, perhaps this person is on the spectrum. Perhaps this person is very left brain. Perhaps this person doesn't do well managing their emotions. Any tips you would give just a rank and file person like me that might want to lead up using the concepts we've learned from you in your writing and the writings of the industry that would help us broaden our circle of influence, so to speak? Well, a couple of things here. One is if you're motivated and if you want to try to get better at this, it's, it's definitely doable. It takes some effort, takes some time, uh, helps to have a coach. Uh, and if for some reason it doesn't appeal to you or it's just something you can't do, then there are many, many tracks in, in corporations, for example, to a successful career. There are many career ladders and you can climb the one that works best for you. Daniel, when we opened, you talked about the power of self-awareness, right, as one of the components of, of uh, emotional agility. It's a word we hear a lot about. It's a word, word that few of us have actually adopted into our repertoire of being a good leader or a colleague or parent or spouse or partner. What, what, what would you like our listeners and viewers to be reminded of about how important the connection between self-awareness is and developing our emotional intelligence? Uh, it turns out to be crucial uh, to be able to tune into your own feelings. It's interesting because this is the least visible competence, but it may be the most important. Our data shows, yeah. uh, for example, if you do a self-assessment and then people who know you well, whose opinions you trust, who you choose, assess you on the same variables, but do it anonymously, you're going to get a self-rating versus how others see me rating, the bigger the gap between your self-rating and how others see you, that is the poorer your self-awareness, uh, it turns out the less likely you can develop strengths across the board in emotional intelligence. If you have a very small gap, if you see yourself pretty much the way others do, if you have good self-awareness, then you're much, much better at uh, developing any of, of the emotional intelligence competencies. Daniel, when you were 10 years old, 12 years old, what did you think your career would focus on? Perhaps being a fireman, I don't really remember. Well, so may, move forward, 18 years old. When you first were maybe coming into oh, really? college, what did you think your natural strengths and talents would have lent your career towards? Well, you know, I probably wanted to be a physician but the truth is I loved writing and I didn't think of that as a career, but it turned out to be my career. And as you look back on your contribution, your legacy, what are you most proud of? Well, I actually value the fact that people around the world take emotional intelligence seriously and that uh, people in so many different places and so many different callings, so many different roles in organizations of all kinds have taken this to heart and are using self-awareness to handle themselves better, uh, to be a better person, if you will, and that they're handling people in a uh, more nurturing, nourishing, and kinder way. Daniel, you've written about a dozen books. Uh, emotional agility has been in print how many decades? Uh, emotional agility is actually Susan Davis. Sorry, book. emotional intelligence. Thank you. Sorry. Yes. Uh, emotional intelligence uh, has been in print since 1995. Yeah. I and was say recently about came out with the 25th anniversary edition. 
25 years. If you were, and, you, and you've, like you said, you've re-released a new edition of it, anything missing, anything that you've realized in your research and experience, all the speeches, the consulting, that you'd say, you know, the next edition I'm going to add this to because I want to give more gravitas to that? Well, you know, I'm actually writing a follow-up book now because we have 25 years of data showing that, yes, emotional intelligence actually enhances leaders' performance uh, by hard metrics. It makes people, lessons turnover, uh, people, employees uh, have better performance, they like their work better, they like their boss better, uh, organizations have better profit and growth if they have an emotionally intelligent culture. So that's uh, very, very pleasing to me. But the one thing that I would emphasize that I hadn't is the importance of a sense of belonging. And I think an emotionally intelligent leader and team members can provide this. Google called it psychological safety. They found it in their top performing teams. Uh, and I think that that sense of belonging is critical to these new initiatives and diversity and uh, equity and so on. So I, I would have emphasized that more if I yeah. had it yeah. wallow. Yeah. It makes sense. I misspoke when I mentioned the book Emotional Agility. It was on my mind. I'm a big fan, by the way, of Dr. Susan David and her work. She spoke, I believe, the same year you did at uh, the World Business Forum. It, it's on my mind because... There's a connection, is there not, between how your emotional intelligence leads you to be an emotionally agile leader. In fact, we're hearing now with some frequency that instead of talking about change management, we're talking about sort of agility management. Uh, speak to if there are any, other than my misspeaking, what are the connections between being an emotionally Actually, agile and emotionally intelligent leader? There's a very strong connection. I have 12 competencies of leaders based on you know, top 10% performers in organizations of all kinds. One of them is what I call adaptability. It's actually the same as agility. It means that whatever comes down the pike, whatever the crisis of the day is, you're able to manage it well. Uh, you can handle whatever challenge comes along because you are agile, because you are adaptable. Uh, so I, I think that uh, are the, the two concepts largely overlap. It's like uh, achievement, which is one of the competencies I talk about that you find in top executives is very similar to what's been called grit. Uh, being uh, positivity is very similar to what's being called now a growth mindset, where you see yourself and other people as able to develop further and to improve. And um, emotional balance, which is another key competence in my set, has been called resilience, which is just emphasizing one part of that ability. So yes, Scott, in short answer, we're talking about the same thing. I yeah. Daniel, let's end on this topic. Let's bring it personal. Let's bring it into the house, into the home. Whether we're talking to people that their roles outside of the work are as a partner or a spouse or a significant other, whether they're a parent or a guardian or just a friend going on a Thursday morning 5 a.m. walk with their walking buddy and they want to improve their emotional intelligence, whether or not to dominate the conversation or to ask smart questions or be aware of what it's like to be my friend. What, what tips would you send us off for those of us who want to become more emotionally intelligent and our lives, not as leaders, but as friends, parents, spouses, lovers, colleagues, what are some things you see are the biggest gaps, the biggest deficiencies sure. that would help us 
build better friendships, better relationships outside the workplace? You know, it's interesting to me that Stephen Covey said listening was hard for him. Mm -hmm. I think listening is the common cold of mm -hmm. emotional intelligence. It, it's just, uh, you know, we're, we're in a conversation with a, a teenager or our spouse or our walking buddy, whomever. Very often we're just thinking of what we're going to say and not really listening to what they're saying. So I think it takes two things. It takes that self-awareness, that mindful moment. Where is my attention right now? Am I really listening to the other person? Mm. Uh, I think that itself is something we can use anywhere in our life. Yeah, you just described my entire life, including my hour-long parent-teacher conference this morning with my middle son. <laughs> As you were saying that, I was thinking, I, well, I should have been interviewing him before that parent-teacher conference. I would have been less dominant. Uh, Daniel Goldman, thanks for your time today. You are a giant in the industry. The gift you've given literally millions of leaders, organizations, making it safer to talk about this as a competency. The number of careers you probably have saved, right, by allowing people to either read your book or enroll in a course or see a webinar or a speech. Your work is a huge gift. You mentioned the Goldman Group is, is consulting. What's next for you, sir? Well, uh, two things. I'm writing the follow-up book, uh, which pulls together all the data, which we now have 25 years of it, showing the power of emotional intelligence in leadership and organizations, and also <clears throat> applying that, leveraging that data in the Goldman Consulting Group. Uh, so that's, those are my next steps. Daniel Goldman, thanks for investing your time in our audience today. We appreciate you joining the On Leadership series. Best of success to you. Thanks so much, Scott. It's been a pleasure. And thanks to each of you. The guests keep getting better and better. We're excited to bring you a new guest on a new topic next week on leadership.